Good morning, everyone. Uh, I have I got to tell you that uh, this series that we're doing right now, the Star of Bethlehem, has been one of the most fascinating that I have ever dived into. And I'm going to tell you, it really is a diving into the information, uh, the the scholarship uh, over actually hundreds of years is really quite remarkable. And so I, I, I can't even begin to even share with you a, a fraction. I'm just sharing a fraction of what I have learned. And um, I want to just begin by pointing your attention to a little booklet that came out in 16, uh, I think 1607. And it was written by a man by the name of Johann uh, Kepler. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He, uh, he, is, he was really one of the foremost scientists of his day. In fact, He's considered one of the greatest scientists of the Renaissance. Uh, you may know him as the one who discovered the laws of planetary motion. So the man is, is definitely a, a brilliant mind, a brilliant man with, uh, with a profound understanding of, of the importance of the stars. Now, one of the things that you need to understand is, is one day as, as he was looking into the heavens, he noticed uh, a particularly bright, what looked like a particularly bright star. And as he began to research it, he, he recognized that it was the, uh, really the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. And he did the calculations, and he found that, in fact, there was something like this that appeared in the heavens in the years seven, or seven, between 7 and 5 BC, just before Christ was born. And so his feeling was that that perhaps that was what the original star was. Um, he believed that, that perhaps this was what led the Magi to the baby Jesus. Now, we don't, we don't really know for sure. Uh, we, there's been many, many ideas. Um, and really, we have to ask ourselves the question, what really was the star? Was it natural? Was it a comet? Was it a planetary conjunction? That is, was it Jupiter and Saturn or Jupiter and Venus that came together? Was it a supernova? Uh, was it supernatural? In other words, was it an angel? Was it the Shekinah glory? The Shekinah glory is what we see in the temple, in the tabernacle. It, when, when God came to indwell the tabernacle, we called it the Shekinah glory. Is this earphone going crazy? Is this thing going crazy? Is it Okay. Okay. Uh, was, it super, was it some kind of a, a other bright light in the sky? Well, John MacArthur believes that it was some, cow, some kind of an angel uh, in, the, in the heavens, that this is what actually led the, the Magi to, to Bethlehem. I personally don't believe that it was an angel. Uh, it could have been, but I don't believe it was, because every time a Bible talks about any kind of angelic activity... The Bible just simply says it was an angel that did it. So why, why the writer of, um, of Matthew wouldn't just simply say it was uh, an angel uh, is beyond me. And, and so we, we can't, I don't think we can really logically jump to that conclusion. Now, some believe that it was a comet that, that led the Magi to, to Bethlehem. This is a comet that was reoccurring at that time. And um, I actually went online and bought the book called The Great Christ Comet. And I'm going to tell you, this is one of the most amazing books I've ever read. Uh, some of you are going to ask, Pastor Alan, can I borrow it from you? And the answer is no. <laughs> I, I've, I've uh, 
given out too many books. I think I got half my library in my office, and the other is I don't know where. But so if you want it, you can go online and get it yourself. You can even go online and just read uh, some, some of the summaries of the book, but you will absolutely be amazed by it. And Colin Nichol, who's a Cambridge professor, Cambridge educated, has teamed up with a number of astronomers, world-class astronomers, and he's come up with a really compelling case for the star Bethlehem being, in fact, what he calls a Christ comet. And there's the book, in case you want to write that down. And it, again, his name is Colin Nickel. Just look up Christ Comet on Google and you'll, you'll find it, no problem. There is another, um, another uh, uh, option. Uh, this is actually uh, a, a video that's come out called The Star Bethlehem. Some of you may be familiar with it. And the man who came up with this video, his name is Rick Larson. He's a lawyer. And he just became interested in the star of Bethlehem. He began what seemed like just simple research, and then he, he ended up, it's, it's become really all-consuming. He, he resigned, I think, from his, his law profession now and does this full-time doing this research. What he did was he invested in some computer software, and he began to look at the, at the, the night sky uh, in the period or the, the era when Christ was born. And anyways, long story short, uh, he believes that he has come up with the answer. Uh, he believes that, in fact, it was, again, the, the, the conjunction of the planets Venus and Jupiter in the night sky. And uh, again, this is something that you can Google yourself. I don't have time to get into all of this because could, I could literally spend a year just talking about the star of Bethlehem. But these are all very interesting and very compelling uh, stories and research. But understand this this morning. Whatever it was, we know that God was trying to communicate. He was trying to communicate, first of all, with the Magi. And then what he was doing is he was trying to communicate with his own people, the people we call the Israelites, the chosen ones of God. And we see throughout the scripture, we see various prophetic words, prophetic messages, especially in the Old Testament, that foretell the coming of Jesus and linked to Christ is, is this star. So the Magi, seeing something in the night sky, whether it was the conjunction of Venus and Jupiter or an angel or a Christ comet, Whatever it was, they saw something, and you may remember from last week, I mentioned to you that the prophet Daniel would have lived in Babylon 600 years before this time, and he would have informed them or taught them Jewish theology. Remember, the Magi were scholars, they were learners, they wanted to know everything that they could know about everything. And so they wanted to pick Daniel's brain. Daniel, tell us about your God, tell us about your religion. And so Daniel told them of the coming of the Messiah and what the signs would be. And so when they see this, this, this massive star in the sky in the east, they recognize that the king of the Jews is born. And their heart is drawn to this king. And they set out on this journey. Now I'm going to tell you, this is no small journey. This is not like going from, from Winnipeg to, to Brandon. We're talking about going like from Winnipeg to Calgary. It's a long journey, and they didn't have cars, they didn't have airplanes, as you know, and, um, and, and we don't even know if they were camels. 
Uh, camels will eventually get there. But we're talking about a, a big journey. We don't know if there were three wise men or three magi or if there were a, a many. We don't know if they would have... I doubt that they would have traveled alone considering that they were uh, bringing with them expensive gifts. They probably had an entourage. They probably would have had soldiers to protect them. But they were definitely, I, I believe, they were definitely not traveling alone. So there would have been a large group of people. The Bible tells us that when Ezra came... Remember, Israel went into Babylon, into captivity, and that's when Daniel was there. But when Ezra was going back to Jerusalem, from Babylon to Jerusalem, it took about four months for, for Ezra with his entourage, with the family, with the livestock, etc., etc., their possessions to get back to Jerusalem. But here's what you need to know. The, the Magi obviously felt that it was worth the trip. Uh, how many remember the Steinbeck commercial? It's worth the trip to Steinbeck? Well, these magi believed it was worth the trip to Bethlehem. And so this is what we see in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. And it says, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now the question is this today. Why a star? Well, let me begin by just pointing out this passage of Scripture to you from Psalm 119, verses 1 to 2. And it says, the heavens do what? Proclaim the glory of God. In other words, the heavens speak about God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, look at this, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. And so the very first thing we recognize is that God is speaking to us. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to signal to us that something very special, something very remarkable is happening on the earth and in the world. Now, here's what you need to know. When it comes to the stars, you and I uh, are educated. Most of us have got at least, you know, a, a minimum of education. And we all know that those stars in the sky are not living beings. But the ancients believed that those stars represented something that was alive. Why? Because they moved. And only things that move could be alive. Now, they didn't understand the movement of the earth, that it spins on its axis, etc., etc. Didn't understand these orbits. But they did see that these stars were moving. Now, here's what you and I need to know. These ancients looking at these stars were, were, were looking for God. They were looking for something divine. In fact, you can't look into the sky without... I mean, I don't know if any of you have done this. I've done it many times. I'm sure everybody here has done that. You've looked into the skies and you were just overwhelmed with the wonder and the glory of a starry sky. In fact, the wonder and the glory of creation. Well, the ancients believed that divine beings lived far away from humans in remote places where humans uh, did not live. And, and they believed that those stars in the sky represented in fact, heavenly beings. Now imagine what the Magi were thinking when they saw those, those, uh, or that star in the sky. Imagine. Imagine how they felt. In fact, it says in Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with joy. That star was speaking to them. Now I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. 
Because here's what I've discovered over the years of being a pastor for over 30 years. I've discovered that God speaks to people in the most remarkable and amazing ways. In fact, it's, it seems that God speaks to everybody in a different way. God comes to everybody in different ways. I know the way that God came to me is very different than the way that God came to my, my brother and the rest of my family. For me, it was as a child. For me, it was when we went to the uh, airport, which is now torn down. That tells you how old I am. We went to the old airport uh, to see my Uncle Jack, who's a missionary, going to Africa with his family. Now, our family wasn't going to church at that time. I knew nothing about God, knew nothing about Jesus. All I knew is that my dad's brother was going to Africa. And not only was my dad's brother going to Africa, but my dad was crying because his brother was going. And I had never seen my dad cry before. And I'm going to tell you, when you're like just seven years old, it's a very, almost a traumatic experience. And it was at that moment that God began to stir in my heart. What on earth would make my uncle leave Winnipeg and make my dad cry? How can my uncle do that to my dad? Doesn't my uncle know how much my dad loves him? But there we were. My dad had us all dressed up with real cream in our hair. Anybody remember those days? And I'll tell you, it was just the sharpest part you ever did see. Shiny, greasy hair. Mm, look, looked like a million bucks. I remembered that we, what we were doing was really important. We were going to the airport. And to this day, going to the airport is one of my favorite things to do. But anyway, that's, a, that's another story. There, there God confronted me was something very important. My uncle was leaving his family and going to Africa. I'd seen pictures of Africa, of rhinoceroses and hippopotamuses and giraffes and, you know, on, on, and on. The savannah, these glorious trees that you only see in Africa. Exotic, exotic homes and exotic people. Why was my uncle going to Africa? That was the beginning of the stirring in my own heart. And I remember very clearly that night when I went home and went to bed. The, the, the thing that, was, that I went to sleep thinking about was my uncle going to Africa. And in that moment, this is strange because I wasn't even a Christian yet. But at that moment, I felt God saying to me, Alan, someday you are going to be a pastor. Isn't that the strangest thing? I don't even know if I've even shared that with Gloria yet. But as I was preparing it, I was started to think about that, how God spoke to me. And that set me on a whole different trajectory than the rest of my family. My desire, my hunger, my thirst was to know the God of my uncle who went to Africa. And by the way, I didn't really know my uncle. I talked to him only a few times in my whole life. But the fact that he was going to Africa to tell people about Jesus figured big in my heart. So here's what you need to see, what you need to know, is that God sent a star, first of all, to speak, to speak to the Magi, to speak to the Israelites, to tell them of the coming of the Messiah. But there's a second thing that you need to see, and some of you may, may not see this as important, but in my research, this is what I discovered. I discovered that stars are actually anchors for historians. Historians love it 
When there's any mention of anything that happens in the stars, any kind of a celestial event, if a historian records that, then what can happen is that we can go back in time and we can, we can get a good idea of the actual date and the time and actually uh, prove the veracity of that report based on the record of that celestial event. And so here's what you need to know. You can actually get astronomy software, and you can actually go back in time and see when all the eclipses happened, when all the comets, when all the stars were aligned for this and for that, when there was a lunar eclipse and when there was a solar eclipse, and and on and on. It's all there. It's extremely predictable. But this shouldn't surprise us considering who created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens so that it runs with precise clockwork. And, it, and it, it's steady throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia. And so when we look at, at the biblical story, the biblical accounts, and we see that the, the, the biblical writers are recording some of the celestial events or some of the things that have happened in the sky. Remember, when the psalmist says in 1912, 19, Psalm 19, 1-2, that day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. I'm telling you, this is not just, just poetic writing. This is actually a key or a clue to how God communicates truth to us. So that when we read of Jesus dying, remember that the, that the Bible says that it became dark over the earth from about noon until 3 p.m. And here's what you need to know. There was an eclipse at that time. In fact, there was a lunar eclipse. And, and again, you can go on to the NASA eclipse website and discover this for yourself. You can find it. April 3rd, 33 AD, there was an eclipse. Now, when we, when we see that kind of, of, of narrative in the scripture that tells us what's happening in the sky, God puts it there for a reason. He wants to show us the veracity of what is written in scripture. We can go back to Joel chapter 2, verses 30 to 32. And you remember, in the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, and they were all speaking in tongues, some of the people that were observing this mocked these early Christians, saying, look, they're drunk. At 9 o'clock in the morning, they're, they're drunk out of their tree. And Peter stands up and he says, we're not, we're, we haven't been drinking, we're not drunk. In fact, what... What Peter goes on to do is he goes on to quote Joel. Now look what Joel says in Joel chapter 2, 30 to 32. And remember, Joel is the mouthpiece of God. This is God speaking. God says, I will cause wonders where? In the heavens. Let's just stop for a moment. When's the last time you read that and you thought, ah, God is speaking here. There's something specific that God wants us to know from this. So God says, I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will what? Become dark. And that's exactly what happens on the day that Jesus dies. And the moon will turn red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here's, here again is what we know. And some Bible scholars believe that when Jesus Christ returns at the second coming, there will be what we call a blood-red moon. A blood-red moon is simply um, a description of a, a solar or a, a lunar eclipse. 
And uh, what a lunar eclipse is, is simply this, is when the earth is here, the sun is here, and the moon is here, and the earth is perfectly placed between the sun and the moon so that, so that the earth casts a shadow on the moon. Did you get that? If you don't understand it, come talk to me. I'll explain it to you again later. But basically, you get the, you get the drift. And so when, that, when the earth casts a shadow on the moon, it actually causes what looks like a, a, a red or a, actually a, a deep orange color to the moon. The Bible is clear that God still speaks to us, and he speaks to us in a number of ways. Now, can I just point out something right now? I'll probably mention it again in a few moments. But at the time that Joel was writing his prophecy, there was very little scripture available. In fact, the average person wouldn't have access to scripture. There would be the Torah, the, the five books, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that would be at the local synagogue. But here's what you need to know. God spoke through signs and wonders, and he definitely spoke through signs in the heavens. We know that. Why does he do it? Well, folks, I want you to see the last three words of this passage of Scripture. And what does it say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what God wants. And in case anybody's got this notion or this idea that God is some kind of a nasty, mean old God that, that, that wants to get revenge and wants to hurt us, you have to understand that that's, that's completely wrong. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. God loves us, and he is doing everything he can. In fact, he's doing everything he can over millennia to prove to us, to show to us that he is worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our praise. So that's the third reason why God sends a star. He wants people to be saved. Does everybody get that today? It's not God's will that anybody perish. It's not God's will that anyone be lost. But the, here's the thing. You and I have got to have an open heart. See, most of us, it, before we come to Christ, our hearts are closed. Our minds are closed. We've got what we call prejudice. We, are, we prejudge the Bible. We prejudge the biblical story. We prejudge Christ. We prejudge the church. We've made up our mind, oh, this is all rubbish, none of it makes sense, it's not real. But here's what I want to say to you today. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, you need to relook at this. And you need to be what I would call intellectually honest. You need to put your prejudice aside and look at this honestly. This professor at Cambridge University, a strong Christian man, and dealing with these astronomers, he tells how these astronomers are absolutely amazed by this, by this fact of a star. I will cause wonders in the heavens so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Think about that for a moment. What a thrilling thought. In fact, Paul picks up this theme in Romans 1.20. Paul says, for since the world was created, people have seen what? The earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Look, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Did you get that? God reveals himself 
to those who are seeking. If you're not seeking, then God will not reveal himself. Did you get that? But if you are seeking, the signs are there. The sky speaks. The heavens speak. The stars even speak. People often ask, Pastor Alan, what happens to those who don't hear the gospel? Well, here's, here's what I do know. I know that God is just. I know that God is merciful. And I know, according to this scripture, that God does, in fact, speak. And I know that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you get that? There is no footnote in my Bible that says only certain people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You didn't say anybody who is Caucasian will be saved or anybody who's Filipino will be saved. But if you're from any other country, too bad for you. Don't say that. Anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter what your economic condition is. Doesn't matter what your 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 education is, doesn't matter what your religious background may be, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we return to Psalm 19, verses 1 to 2. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. That's why God sent a star to speak to humanity, to a lost humanity, to humanity that is steeped in darkness. Now, what is God saying? What is, that? What is God actually saying to us? Well, God is signaling to the world through this star the coming of the light of the world. And who is the, who is the light of the world? John tells us in John chapter 1. Jesus is the light, isn't he? In fact, Jesus says that about himself in Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. Look, listen to this. And I am the bright morning star. Isn't that cool? Revelation 22, verse 16. God wants us to know that Jesus Christ is the one who brings light into this dark world. Now, would anybody agree with me that we're living in pretty dark times? You can't, I mean, I don't even, any, I don't watch CNN anymore, by the way. I mean, that's big, because everybody knows. I mean, I, I'm a, I was a CNN junkie. I couldn't help. I had to watch a bit of CNN every day to find out what's going on in the world. I don't even want to watch it now. It's too depressing. It actually should be called the Trump Channel, because all we ever hear about is Trump. I'm sick and tired of hearing about Trump. And I, I'm, by the way, and I'm not a great supporter, uh, a, a, a supporter or backer of his either. I just don't want to hear about the guy. Just bad news, bad news everywhere. And this, these people are rising up against these people, and these people hate these people, and there's war here and war there. Well, folks, listen to me. Listen, Jesus Christ has called you and I to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Did you get that? To go into the world to share the light who is Jesus Christ with people who are living in darkness. And I'm going to tell you, folks, the darkness is thick. I love the story of Jared and Aaron who are just sitting about three quarters of the way back. They used to sit up closer to the front, but I guess they wanted to get away from my spit path. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, uh, there were dark times. Remember them saying they saw a, a billboard 
And uh, I can't even remember what the billboard was about, but something to the effect, uh, are you ready to see Jesus or something like that? Those are dark days. And so I think that Jared then talked to Barry, and that just set things in motion. And next thing you know, they were coming to church. And next thing you know, they were discovering who the light of the world is. Folks, you and I are called to be stars wherever we go, whatever we do. Look at, look at what, what Isaiah the prophet says. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. What is Isaiah talking about here? He's talking about the coming of the Magi, the kings from Babylon who come and worship Jesus, who is the light of the world. Folks, listen to me. This is what Christmas is all about. We always say Jesus is the reason. You've heard it a million times, haven't you? Can I remind you that you and I as Christians have got a calling on us? Our job is to share this good news, to share this light with a broken and hurting world, a world that's in darkness. The question is this, is who are you talking to? Who knows about your Jesus? Who has seen the light in you? Because that's our job. Here's what it says in Philippians 2, 14 to 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become a blameless, become blameless and pure. So that you may become children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Now, it's interesting. Nothing has really changed because Paul is writing to the Philippians almost 2,000 years ago. Hey, folks, wherever there's no Jesus, the world is dark and black as night. Did you get that? Wherever Jesus is missing, there is darkness. And wherever... Wherever Jesus is, there is light, there is hope, there is joy. And and Paul says this. He says, uh, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. We look to the the heavens and we see all kinds of stars. But folks, I'm going to tell you right now, we have right here in this room, People who call themselves Christians, and I'm going to say to you today, you are one of God's stars to lead someone to Jesus. How many of us today are going to go to the grave without ever having led anybody to Christ? What a terrible thing that will be, especially when you remember that before Jesus left this earth, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach people to obey everything I've commanded. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have you led anybody to Christ yet? Jesus wants you and I to be a star in our little world, wherever we are, whatever whatever people we're rubbing shoulders with. We are to be a people that people look at and see light. When people look to you, do they see Jesus? When they hear what comes out of your mouth, do they think, hmm, one and one is not equaling two here. 
what he is saying does not match what he says he is. What he does does not match his profession. He says he's a Christian. He says he goes to church. But his attitude stinks. His words do not reflect Jesus. I don't see love in this person. And you think an unbeliever doesn't think those things? Guarantee you they do. In fact, you hear it all the time. The reason I don't go to church is because Christians are a bunch of... Ah, you heard it too. Hypocrite is an actor. This Christmas season... This is, a, this is a, a golden opportunity for all of us to invite people to church, to come and discover the Christ who is the light of the world. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Can people see the light of Jesus in your life? Do you radiate Christ? Does your attitude stink? the words of your mouth, the meditations of your heart, the attitude. What is it? I was so blessed the other day. I got a, I got a text from somebody. It was the last, last Sunday of the Beautiful Savior series. We talked about Jesus the King. And some of you may remember that I, I asked people if there's anybody that wants to surrender the lives of Christ to put your hand up. And a lot of people did. And then I got an email or text from somebody, and it says this, Hello, Pastor Allen. The morning service was very powerful. I'd like to inform you that I have surrendered myself to God. Now, this is something I've been praying praying for for about three years. I had not seen God until I came across good-hearted people just like you who showed me huge evidence that God exists, and he must have the same heart that you have. I appreciate your self-sacrifice. Take care. We have since met together and we've talked further. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not a perfect person. And I got to tell you, sometimes I'm a hypocrite. Was that gasps I heard? (laughs) What? Look, none of us is perfect. We know that. But when you and I are getting our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is, in fact, the light of the world. What happens, folks, is that the radiance of Christ now is reflected from our lives and from our hearts. And so when you get up in the morning, you've got to say, God, today, let me be a shining star. Let me be a light to the people I work with. Let me be a light to my own children. So that my kids, when they hear me preach, don't do this, don't do that, go to church, do this. They won't shut me down because they look at my life and see a hypocrite. People out there want to know about your Jesus. And when you look at the statistics, over 80% of people who were asked, would you go to church on your own? Actually, 100% said Probably not. Maybe 20 or 30% said they would try it out. But 80% said they would go to church if somebody invited them. We've got next Sunday, 
Then we've got Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? In two weeks, it's Christmas Eve. Can I ask you to do something? Can I ask you this week to go and be a a shining star? Invite someone to church, especially for Christmas Eve. Tell them I'll sit with you even. In fact, I'll even introduce you to my pastor, who is a hypocrite sometimes, but he's usually a good guy. (laughs) Could you do that? Not just because I'm asking you, because Jesus commands it. And he is the King of Kings. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, we stand before you uh, utterly and completely amazed at your great love. We stand amazed, God, that you'd want to use us to be the salt and the light in this world. God, this world is full of darkness. And that's why you have to send Jesus. We needed, we needed Jesus to bring his light to our dark hearts, to speak to us and to show us the love of God. For most people, they'll never pick up a Bible. They'll never read a Bible. For most people, the only Bible they'll ever read is each one of us. We will be the message. We will be the bright, shining star to people who live in darkness. So, Father, in Jesus' name, use us. Use us, Lord. And this morning, if you want God to use you this week, could you just lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, hear my, use me. Could you do that right now? No one's looking around. This is between you and God. It's a transaction between you and God. God, use me. Use me to bring light to all the people in my life. My children, people I work with, the people I serve at work, my neighbors, my friends, family members. God, hear my, use me. Make me a shining star. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, go be a shining star somewhere.